everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. We are sponsored by Purple Power Equine. Looking to add performance, power, and balanced nutrition? Purple Power Equine has many products that will become essential in preparing your equine athlete for performance. Whether you need to help gut and hoof health or add weight, body, and dimension, Purple Power Equine can help bring success to your equine athlete. Gastro Power, Power Up. Hoof Power, Power Punch, Emergency Power. Visit purplepowerequine.com or on Facebook at Purple Power Equine. Tips from Trainers. Lynn, this is a 1965, I don't even want to call it a book. It's like a pamphlet. It's it's like not a... It's truly like a manual. It's like a manual for horse trainers yeah. from 1965. Yeah. And it was published by the Texas and Southwestern Horsemen. And it has a bunch of chapters. And each chapter, pretty much what it does is that it gets information from certain breeders and trainers from the industry back during those decades. How did you find this book? Yeah. So when I was doing some research on Buster Welch, and we're going to do an episode on Buster Welch here in the next few weeks. But as I was going through there, I came across that book and I'm like, oh my goodness, we absolutely have to get tips from trainers from 1965 and do an episode. I mean, like today we would Google, mm-hmm. but back in the day, they couldn't Google. They, they, probably, had, they right, had to I'm, wait for the book or the pamphlet to show up. Right. Or so like people now, they watch like Chris Cox and all of those horsemanship episodes on television. And back in the day, they didn't have that. So I wondered how many dog-eared copies of tips for trainers <laughs> were out there back in the day by all of us, you know, women that were home trying to train our own horses. They probably, every one of them probably had a, a dog-eared copy in their house. Probably. And I will share that, you know, as we've talked in previous episodes, I have really accumulated quite a library of books. Now, those books that I purchased that are new or just from the recent years, I like highlight. And my friend Lori Hartman knows this. I highlight, I underline, I write all kinds of notes. This is like such a relic. Yeah, that's precious. I mean, it's a it's a new edition. So it's 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 not it's marked up. I mean, it's spotless. pristine. Yeah, it's, it's pristine. It's so pristine. You, you can't mark that so up. So I didn't mark it up. And I almost got a pencil out and started circling things. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, the the edge of it, the binder is faded. So you know that it's it's been sitting on someone's shelf for a really long time. But it's really, it's beautiful. And it's got some pretty cool pictures in it. So anyway, it was fun to see this come in the mail. Now, in going through the different chapters... There was one chapter that kind of struck me as perhaps applicable to today's showman. And this is chapter seven, Grooming for the Halter Horse by Lanham Riley. So Lanham was from Texas. He developed horsemanship skills while working on a number of notable Western Texas ranches, including... I'm going to guess it, you're going to say the four sixes. The four sixes. Now, Lanham also was, he served our country. He was in the Army Air Corps in 1942. Lanham, through his show career, showed some horses that have been very well known, including Pretty Boy Pokey, Junior Reed, or J.R. Reed. I'm not sure. It said J.R. period. Yeah, so, I don't know how that is. Yeah, I don't either. Also, Wildfire Joe, Rex Del Rancho, Echo Reed and Major Thunder. So Lanham was from Texas and he's from a, a town called 
Aledo or Aledo, A-L-E-D-O, which was just southwest of Fort Worth. In 1955, Lanham was the reserve world champion calf roper. So in this book, this this chapter book, he he gave some advice on halter horses. But before I get to that, I want to talk a little bit about Lanham's private life. So, and this is this is a happy one. So Lanham married a woman named Mitzi. And so when I first started preparing for this episode, it was all about Lanham, all about Lanham. Well, I'm going to tell you, Mitzi is absolutely, this is one of those times when I went down a rabbit hole and it's amazing. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of expound upon this in a little bit, but Lana married Mitzi. They married in September of 1947 and they had five children together, three boys and two girls. Mitzi was a trick rider. From the time that she was six years old until her mid-20s, when she met and married Lanham, she traveled entertaining the troops in World War II. And Lynn, I'm going to show you a picture of Mitzi. Oh my gosh, she is hanging, down, hanging from hanging. a horse. If she were not smiling, I would think that was a, <laughs> <laughs> a runaway, a bad yeah, ride. That was a bad ride. A really bad ride. Mitzi said, you know, back then we were all patriotic and almost every town where there was a rodeo, there was an army field or an air force field and we'd entertain the troops. If you were keeping them happy, you felt like you were doing something. So Mitzi in an article by Ross Hecox in 2019 from the westernhorseman.com, Mitzi said, Lanham had just gotten out of the service when I met him. He was in the Air Force. I loved to hear him talk. He had a West Texas twang. We married the next year and went to New York for our honeymoon. It was in 1946 when they were at Madison Square Garden at a rodeo that the two met. Ironically, though, Mitzi was the daughter of rodeo greats Buck and Tad Lucas. Mitzi's mother, Tad, was called Rodeo's First Lady. So as I'm looking at Lanham and I'm looking at the tips that he gave for halter horses, I completely got totally blown away by Mitzi and her mother, Tad. I'm not going to share too much about Mitzi and Tad because I am going to give a whole episode on that mother-daughter trio. Oh, that's I can't be... wait. That'll oh, be fun. Yeah. You're going to call Girl Hall of Fame. I mean, you name it. They're in there. Okay. So back to Lanham. These are tips from Lanham. So in his mind, to get a halter horse in the ring. I have to stop you though. Okay. He was a world champion calf roper. I know. And now he's giving tips on showing halter horses? Well, because apparently when you had a horse back then, you went in more than one class. I mean, <laughs> apparently your Western Pleasure horse could also be a halter horse. I like it. Yeah. I like and it. I think back then the halter classes were kind of like, how is this horse built so that it can perform its job under saddle? I mean, like it should be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he said the most important things to get a halter horse ready for the show pen are feet and legs, proper feed, getting the horse under control, stable cleanliness, exercise, and grooming. So I'm going to share a little bit of the details that he shared with the readers. In his mind, if your horse doesn't have good feet, it's not going to get the job done. Well, that still resonates that today. Absolutely. Yeah. Feed. He used to feed his horses crimped oats and bran and good hay. Now, how much he fed the horse kind of depended on the horse and what that horse needed to be at its best. He would feed the horses at 6, 12, and 6. 
so 6 a.m., noon, and 6 p.m. After feeding them during those times, he would go back like an hour or so later, and if that horse hadn't finished its food, he would take the food away, and then he kind of gauged that, what did that horse need? Did he need a little bit more? Did he need a little bit less? Now, he didn't give much alfalfa, maybe once a week, He really relied on good grass hay. He said, you have to get to know your horse to know what it needs feed-wise to be able to be the best that it could be. And again, I think that still makes a lot of sense Yeah, it does. And this is fascinating that this is back in 1965 where they didn't have all the science and all that behind like these big feed companies. But I mean, he was figuring that out on his own. I love it. Yeah. He said that he would have the vet come every six weeks. And in in the pamphlet, he said, now I want a horse vet. I don't want a dog and cat man which again, kind of lends itself to the fact that back then there was not a lot of the equine science and equine vet help that we have today. Now, the next thing he said about a halter horse is that it's important that you are able to control your horse, which of course makes a lot of sense. In his mind, if you need to make a correction on that horse, do it and then let it be. He said, don't peck at him and he'll respect you for it. Now, I would say don't pick at him, but for him, it was peck like a chicken. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So don't peck at your horse. If you peck and peck and peck. Do it. I have a funny for you. Okay. Raising children is like being pecked to death by chickens. <laughs> I think I've seen that sign I in your that house. Sign. I got it actually at one of the, it's like the Paint Horse World or one of the world shows. They had like those little signs hanging around. And at that point, my boys were like. Were they pecking you? Elementary school age. Yes. <laughs> Okay, back to Peck. Back to Lanham. So also, I mean, my own trainer says this. I mean, Heather will say that to Lila and I. Quit picking. If you just you just pick out of their pick. face. Stop yeah. yeah. And the horse just gets so irritated. And and Lanham totally agreed back in the sixties. He said, you know, here's the deal. If if you need to correct that horse, do it and then just let it be. Because if if you don't if you just pick, 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 or peck, 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 that horse is going to lose respect for you. So he also said, don't lose your temper, which I think we can all agree with. Now, this one was kind of interesting. Did you lose your temper when you were a child? Oh, your horse? heck yeah. I had no patience. I'm so sorry to all my former horses. Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, Chief. I'm sorry, oh, Lexi. Okay, you good Chief. I'm Rena's sorry, Maggie. Queen. I remember being in a showmanship class with Chubby. What was his word Spanish Chubb. Spanish Chubb. And he kept Gosh, kept biting at my hand. I hauled off and I sucker punched him right in the side of the face. Well, that was a bad idea. I don't think I won that show. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the reverse. The horse was pecking at me. Does PETA listen to this podcast? I don't know. The horse was pecking at me to the point I couldn't take it anymore. And I just hauled off and punched him right inside the face. Okay, I'll tell you what I used to do. And I'm so sorry, Lanham, that we've gone down this rabbit hole. But... Like if they were trying to, so first of all, they were probably trying to bite us because we fed them from our hands. Right. So we taught them to nibble at us. Right. So what I would do is I would take my fingernails and I would pinch them. Like, oh. like, and the, like, like the little set, like if they were trying to bite me, I would pinch them and like leave little fingernail marks in there. I'm sorry, Peta. I didn't do that a lot. Maybe only a couple times. I used to jerk their faces off and I probably shouldn't have, but I felt good to jerk their faces off. I remember. So here's my concern with the fact that you just said that. Okay. It sounds terrible. And you're a really good human. So I know that you love animals. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many of our listeners have maybe lost their temper a bit with a showmanship horse and jerked its face. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. With a chain. Oh, for sure. That's why you have to turn the clip to the outside so that when you jerk their face, that you don't tear up their face with the Ugh. with that little snap on the clip. Well, and I was a kid, too. You know, and how many donuts can you do? And that horse is still not slowing down. <laughs> Back to the ponies episode. Yes. When the 4-H leader tells you, just do a donut. Yeah. I mean, I get dizzy with all these donuts. And so then you just give up and you start jerking on his face. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's on their back. First, we were talking about halter horses. Right, right, right. Okay. So back to Lanham. He said that you also need to know how to set your horse up and you need to practice that exact, exact setup for a halter class. Study your horse, know how to set the mare or the gelding up to look its best. Get someone to work with you to watch the way the horse travels and how that horse looks for different setups. Now, of course, I mean, this just makes logical sense. The thing is that I was thinking about it and we practice showmanship setups all the time all the time. But I don't ever practice what I need to do to get that horse set up for a halter class because a showmanship setup can be very different than the halter class setup. And so it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And actually, I'll tell you that from being involved in the livestock industry and showing cattle. I mean, that's the biggest thing that in showmanship, I mean, you don't have a pattern, but it's knowing your animal's faults and setting that animal up to best represent or cover those faults or or whatever makes um, reflects best on your animal when you set it up. Absolutely. Now, he also said that all halter horses need a good bit of exercise. So Lanham would saddle the horse and he would walk or trot the horse four to five miles about three times a week. So he was, so he was, there was no treadmill. And probably no round pen. So lunging? he would ride his horse. He would ride his horse. So, all right. So this is a Kevin Coolism. And actually, Kevin used to take, we, a couple times we had halter horses and Kevin liked a good withers, a good set of withers. And if some of those horses were getting a little bit fat, he would saddle them when he lunged them to sweat the withers. Interesting. So maybe that's just old school that he learned from one of these old school guys. Well, and I think about how we, use lunging as a tool. And then I think back to the episode, we talked about bone strength and whether or not those tight circles are really good on ligaments and and bone health. But yeah, so Lanham would, he just saddle up and he would walk or trot those horses four to five miles, three times a week. That sounds like it would take a lot of time. He also said that if you've got a young horse, make sure that you give that horse time to play and jump the day before a show which makes perfect sense. Get that energy out of that horse so that when you do bring that horse into the show that it isn't quite as spunky or bright as it could be if it wasn't getting its exercise. But he really talked about how important that piece of the, how important exercise was to that horse's physical well-being. He also said that it's important to have a clean stables. He used to clean his stables every morning. He said and truly believed that it impacted how that horse felt and what kind of shape that horse was in. He used shavings or oat straw, but he preferred shavings. He said that straw was difficult to dispose of, and I would agree with that. I mean, we don't use straw anymore. Yeah, in fact, I didn't really realize that in 1965 that they had shavings for bedding. I didn't either, but I'm going to tell you one thing I do now is that, of course, I've always used shavings in my barn. I've kind of fallen in love with those little wood pellets. Oh, yeah. And I know that the philosophy behind the wood pellets is that you put them down and then you spray water on them and they expand. 
So I found that if you mix the wood pellets in with a regular bale of shavings, actually it kind of it it works really well as a and they complement each other. Oh, nice! I'll and I can that. yeah, I can keep the stalls a lot drier, a lot longer. I mean, I pick the stalls every day, but those little wood pellets they'll soak up quite a bit of moisture mixed in with flakes. It works pretty well. So that's my little tip. So grooming. So Lanham said that he rarely gave baths. In fact, he said, and I quote, a bath is a cheap, lazy man's way of grooming a horse. He said it's best to work the horse over with a rag or a curry comb, obviously rotating the comb and then brush the horse. Washing a hot horse will tie up the muscles. And I guess I would assume that he means like if you've got a super hot horse and you rinse it with cold water, he was always afraid that that would tie up the horse muscles. So Lanham recommended to use a wool rag, 85 to 90% wool. So he said what you do is you take an old wool blanket and you bust it up into like yard squares and the wool will actually get the fine dirt out and then you just groom and or you just brush the horse and you do that every day. And he said the horse is going to have this beautiful gloss and the super deep rich color. So I know at the barn where we are, Heather, she is always currying our horses with the rubber, but I hadn't really thought about the wool rag. But Yeah, I'd never heard of that before either. Yeah, he was a big believer in using that wool rag approach. So at the show, he said that his approach is that he would unload the horse, he would brush the horse, rub him with the, or rub the horse, him or her with a rag, walk the horse around for about 15 to 20 minutes to get the horse loosened up. And then he would wipe him down again with a rag and then spray him with the insect repellent and then get him in the show pen. So it's been kind of fun to see. I mean, this has been what, 50 decades since he gave this these tips. And a lot of them are still used today or common sense. Yeah, common sense and very, very applicable. So I'm just they didn't have peppy. Like I love <laughs> the smell of peppy. Shoshin. Do you still use peppy? I well, we use a lot of shoshin. Shoshin. I mean, you can say shoshin and I can and smell it. I can absolutely smell it. There's certain smells that go with horse showing. And for me, Shoshin is a big one. Or, I mean, it's been several years since we showed halter horses, but I think we had Grand Champion spray. Oh, and yeah. Peppy spray. Yeah. Yeah. And now for fly World sp- Champion Peppy is, I can picture the can right yep. now. It's like white with yeah. the globe yeah. and the bronze. Yeah. yeah. So Lanham was a lifetime member of the American Quarter Horse Association, and he was on the board of directors at the Southwestern Exposition and Livestock Show in Fort Worth, which I am going to be heading to next week. So that's exciting. And believe it or not, he was also a school board member. So he was a very involved man and had a long history with horses. Lanham died on February 25th of 2006, and his obituary stated that he will be remembered for his charm, vivid storytelling, and eminent knowledge of horses. So when we we received this book and I started reading about Lanham and the tips that he had, and I want to do a little bit of extra research, I completely went down this hole of learning about his amazing wife, Mitzi, and her phenomenal mother, Tad. And so because of that, I am really excited to do some additional research on this family. And I'm going to bring a new episode to you, Lynn, and our listeners soon on that mother, on that mother-daughter duo. I can't wait. So to end this episode, I want to close with a quote that Lanham said about his wife, Mitzi. Lanham said of his wife in an article by Rachel Stowe, 
a master in the Tarleton State University magazine. My wife was the prettiest girl, cowgirls and all, who ever got on a horse and rode into the arena. She had the greatest personality. She was always smiling and she never met a stranger. It didn't matter how tough it got. She was always smiling. So thank you, Lanham, for your awesome tips and for your story that I can't wait to share that you've made with Mitzi. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.